You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Absorbs the check from Lazat, coughs up the puck, Grunstrom's pass, knocked down, Wagner's shot, swatting it at Lazat, they score! Blake Lazat, first NHL goal! And the Kings are within one! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Tamadio over the line, a shot blocked, second one sneaks in! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans, I am Jesse Cohen, this is All the Kings Men, presented by Manscaped an official partner of your L.A. Kings. Thanks to this revolutionary company, manscaping accidents are a thing of the past. Just get yourself the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Inside, you'll find products like their Lawnmower 3.0, which is advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't cut you. Everything you need to keep trimmed and smelling nice is in the Perfect Package 3.0. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code KINGSMEN at manscaped.com. As always, that's manscaped.com. And use the word KINGSMEN. We got a little behind schedule with our player evaluations, but we are back to talk about some center depth, specifically Blake Lazat and Michael Amadio. Jim Fox and Sean Tierney join me again as we talk about expectation versus reality at the center position for the LA Kings. Heading into 2019-2020, the ceiling of my expectations for Blake Lazat were role player for the Ontario Reign. What were your expectations for him heading into training camp? at the beginning of the 2019-2020 season? Expectations um, were based much on talking to people as opposed to watching them play because of the limited action we had a chance to see him in, or at least I did. Um, role player, fourth-line player, who would always be a fourth-line player. How much work he put in is a big part of his uh, identity. I, I did get a good feel from people that he was going to make the team. So, you know, that wasn't a surprise to me having spoken to those people. But, um, you know, when he did make the team, you could see why. You can see why he endears himself to his teammates, to a coaching staff, uh, how he applies himself every day and is a nonstop worker. So that was the expectation, fourth-line player, and work hard, and he certainly did that. So he more than makes the team. He plays 65 games, scores six goals, 17 assists for 23 points and a minus four uh, with 20 penalty minutes. And he winds up on a line that gets used uh, second most at even strength by the coaching staff with Adrian Kempe and Austin Wagner. So you mentioned his work ethic. Obviously, he earned rave reviews. Let's talk about... uh, the way he exceeded expectations in the 2019-2020 season. The sort of opposite end of the spectrum, in my mind, for Blake Lazat are players like Jason Allison and Andre Kopitar, who are so much bigger than your average player that they don't maybe appear to be working as hard as other players, whereas players like Blake Lazat, you can see every skate stride that they're working hard. How much of that rave review process that fell on him has to do with how easily visible it is when he's working hard. Not not that he isn't working hard. He's obviously working incredibly hard all the time. No, you're, you're right. The, the skating style of a player many times can, uh, you know, get, like you mentioned, give you that first impression factor that, that never goes away. Um, I think in the old Mac and my day in baseball, it was Daryl Strawberry in the outfield who would, you know, six, five run loping stride, never, ever, ever looked like he was working, but yet he was covering a lot of ground. Uh, 
So Blake, when you see his stride, it's choppy, it's churny, it's it's nonstop, it's energizer bunny type, just keep going, keep going, and, and it does stand out. I think there is a quickness factor there uh, that he's able to dart in and out to get back and forth. I, I think, and we see it because of his size and the battles he's willing to get into, that he is knocked down quite a bit, but then again, the jump back up factor is right there, and that that catches your more than anything. That's what caught my attention was okay, yeah, he's out muscled there, but oh, look at him get back in. He gets back up. He gets the proper angle. You know, he's on his horse right away to get to his spot. So uh, that energy is there. Now, it has to be part of his game. That that is a must. Uh, that will that will never go away. And even at his size. My opinion, if he is ever going to become more than a fourth-line player, and he can play fourth-line center in the NHL for 10 years and have a great career, a fine career, a career that anyone would be proud of. But I think he still has to get stronger, and that's tough to say for a, you know, a player with his size. So to me, it becomes a, you know, a muscle mass issue. It's, it's more stocky. He, he will always be stocky, but got into the battles that he did get into. Uh, but that's something that every player goes through. Every younger player goes through. They understand the strength issues. When they, they finally get a chance to experience it live in game, then they go back and they go to the strength and conditioning coach and you, and you okay, how can I get stronger? How can, so his, his and by getting knocked down is not bad either. He doesn't lose a battle when that happens many times, but I think finding a way to, to create just a stronger base once again would go a long way to help him. He's listed at five foot seven, and there's a handful of plays throughout the season that I can remember where he goes into a corner or into a border and avoids contact partially because of utilizing his size, whether he ducks under a check or he, you know, hops out of the way. How much of that is, you know, being able to read the play, and how much of that is opponents not knowing him and not understanding how fast he is and how elusive he can be? Will that get harder for him as his career progresses? Uh, we've seen it 17 million times where a player does have to make the adjustment when he gets to the NHL. But no, uh, like, like I was saying earlier, when he gets knocked down, but how quickly he gets to the spot he needs to get to, to me, it's just a sense. It's something you pick up on. Maybe something he's had to learn individually because of his size. Uh, you know, I, I was the same type of size as far as a player. So you, you do understand certain things and body position becomes so, so important. Uh, you know, getting an inside shoulder, because if if you're not getting that shoulder on the inside, when you make contact with another player, they're just going to kind of scuff you off, boom, you're gone, uh, because you don't have that, that strength to get there, or the, that size, just the overall mass. Uh, but he, he, he does have an understanding that, again, I think we'll keep him in the league. I, I really do. I think he'll be in there. It's just a matter of, you know, you know can he be a... Can he be a force? His numbers are okay at six goals. Again, if he can get that to 11 or 12, then you're talking about a very viable fourth-line center. So he certainly has that understanding. Uh, it's very difficult to to talk about Blake's skill level because he does have it. It's just, I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, every single stride he takes looks like he's just working 100% all the time. So nothing really comes easy to him. But his skill level is okay, too. He gets time on the power play and also the penalty kill. More time on the penalty kill. Fourth amongst forwards. Um, shorthanded. 
And this is where we get into the sort of philosophical conversation that I I anticipated not happening until we got to uh, talking about Matt Roy. But we're going to have it right now. There were nights during the season where I was sort of, you know, incredulous at, at how much effort Blake Lazat appeared to be giving out. And there were nights where I asked, I don't know that I ever stated, but I asked, is Blake Lazat the Kings quote unquote best player in this game? Now, obviously, if you took Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty, you know, uh, Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, and put them next to Blake Lazat. I would never propose that Blake Lazat's skill level or, or natural talent would exceed those players. But is it possible that on certain nights this season, Blake Lazat was giving a better overall effort or playing a better overall game than the rest of the Kings? Yeah, I, I always, and I think we've had this discussion before, I struggle when the term effort is used. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think every player is giving an effort. I think sometimes players get distracted for different reasons, and that is their fault. Uh, you know, you can throw the fault around many places. Again, it's the coach's job to make sure everyone understands their role and go out there uh, unencumbered to execute that role. Um, you know, there is no hesitation because you know exactly what you're supposed to do, and that's explained to you. Um, but again, effort is, and, and I'm going off on a tangent here. It's it's a pet peeve of mine and, and, and maybe I should have to start doing it more. So, but I take it to the, to the inverse of what we're talking about, which is if a player is, be, if how many times a year we got outworked tonight, how many times you, well, the other team outworked us, how many, yeah, okay. Or if an announcer, my job says they were outworked tonight, that's not good enough for me. Tell me who, was not working hard enough and tell me what circumstance or what example and give that example. If you're going to criticize someone for effort, you be specific, you name that player and you give the example of when he was not working hard enough. And, and I think you would find yourself in a situation where uh, it's very, very difficult to do. Um, having said that, I know what you're talking about with Blake. That's, that's, he does stand out. Remember I said earlier, endears himself to his teammates and coaching staff. And that's what he does because he just he he is using his talents to the ultimate. I think every player is doing that. Sometimes you get lost a little bit. Sometimes you get confused. Sometimes, uh, for instance, a player joining a new team and they're in that learn uh, excuse me a re- read and react phase where they're not necessarily playing. They're thinking, and so then that can slow them down a little bit. And then it's criticized as effort. Um, and usually, usually, players that have what we will call a higher natural skill level will be criticized for effort more than a player like Blake, who never appears to not be trying 100%. Again, and back to the thing, I think every player is trying 100%. But I think your point is very well taken there. I think that's, that's something that will keep Blake around. It's because the trust factor is there with his teammates and coaching staff that when given a task, when given a responsibility, Blake will go out there and accomplish it. It's hard to, to pinpoint any area where he didn't live up to expectations as we laid out earlier in this conversation. So I'll just ask, what areas can he improve upon moving forward? Is it just maintaining his physical strength? I think it's it's getting stronger. Um, I think his his 
when he engages another player in a body contact situation, still refining that to the point where he's using leverage and, and body position even more so. Uh, I watch him, I mean, every day. He's out there after practice working around the net on some very highly skilled moves, and he can do that. He can execute it in practice. So that sixth goal, again, I know is an abbreviated season and games played, but you know, can he get that to 12 goals? I think he, it's a very interesting because, again, when I watch him after practice, the drills he's doing involve a very high level of skill with hand and puck handling and stick handling. Uh, and then you get to a game, and I notice him frustrated at times because he's not able to execute the same move in the game as he did in practice. You know, there's that 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 word that is so, it, confidence. So if he can pick up that confidence, I think he'll find himself improving the numbers and improving the skill level. Uh, it's I, I I don't as much as I'd want him to be. I don't think he's ever going to be more than a player that gets or maybe, maybe creeping to third line ice time. You mentioned he plays on the penalty kill and plays on the power play. That gets him a few more minutes, and that, that helps there. And it makes him more uh, useful to the entire team. Uh, but I just, I think, again, I think if he could be a 10-year fourth-line center in today's game, where I think we realize, you know, fourth-line centers are, are relied upon way more than they were 10 years ago. Uh, so it's still a very, it's not an impact role. It's still a role, player role. Uh, but, um, you know, that's that's where I think. So just a little bit stronger. Understand the exact angles you need to take when you become engaged with another player. And then hopefully taking that, that skill that you see him work on from practice, take it into a game. We've talked a lot about uh, bottom six forwards. I, I don't really like the top six, bottom six designation, but I, I haven't yet found a better one. Um, but we've talked about a lot of them who will be facing challengers from the, the pool of prospects that the Kings have. And I feel like Blake Lazotte might be one of the hardest to knock out of the roster. I think a lot of his opportunity came from a, a roster that, you know, is going through a, a reimagining phase. And, and that opened up that door for him to seize that opportunity. But moving forward, just for the f- the future season, um, what are our expectations for yeah. Blake Lazat? Is he in the lineup on a game in game out basis? That's that's a, you know when I'm thinking about, and we've touched on this many times before in our player evaluations. Let's take him from where he is now and put him on a Stanley Cup contending team. Is he still there? There's a lot of players that are for, you know bottom six forwards that when you raise the level of where the team gets to, they're no longer on your roster. In all honesty, I do not put Blake in that category. I still put him in a category where he could be a fourth line or, you know, I'm talking Stanley Cup contender, so the Kings team would have to improve dramatically over the next few years. Uh, You know, some of those younger players that have the higher skill level now because the Kings have been drafting higher, uh, maybe looking for a different type of player based on skill. Uh, Maybe they surpass him. But uh, I still go back to, to you know what, how he is appreciated by his teammates and, and the coaching staff, and I think that goes a long way into keeping him around. I really do, and that's that's where I would expect him to be. 
Uh, again, we'll see hopefully three to four or five years down the road if the Kings can get back to contending again. Then we'll see. You know, by then he'll have a, a pretty good body of work as far as experience goes. Uh, to me, I, I, I look, I mean, this is what I look at the Boston Bruins right now who are, you know, perennially a contender for the Cup. And you get down to their bottom six, and, and you know what? There's, there's no names there. But a, a lot of their bottom six forwards remind me of Blake a little bit in how they get around the ice, how there's no hesitation, how it's point A to point B. Now, again, they're surrounded by a group, that, and then that makes their effectiveness maybe go up a little bit more. So uh, I would expect Blake to be around for a long period of time. I, again, I don't expect him to climb the levels, to, to move up. I just expect him to continue to make sure that he is in the lineup and uh, and make it very difficult for coaches to take him out. The other center we're focusing on this week is Blake Lazat, the surprise, I don't know, breakout star of uh, training camp for, for the 2019-20 season. I certainly had zero expectations for this kid coming into the season, Sean, but what do the numbers tell us his season was like? Right, so Lazat is another one of those seemingly dozen bottom six forwards that the Kings piled up that were, you know, reasonably responsible in the time they had. Um, a lot like Amadio, who spoke about uh, earlier, Lazat wound up with a 55% expected goal share. Really, really positive. We're looking at 748 five-on-five minutes again. And so really similar to Amadio in terms of being a really responsible um, bottom six forward who could go out there and take a regular shift and somebody a coach can lean on in sort of a, a bottom six role and not be stressed about what kind of results you're going to get. Um, offensively, uh, again, you know, sort of a similar profile to Amadio. He had 121 shots. Lazat did, scored his six goals on about 10 expected goals, did all his work right in front of the crease area, kind of showed a willingness to uh, fire away wrist shots from the face-off dots on his shot plot, which is Interesting for a guy that maybe isn't known for having a blistering shot, but, you know, managed to score six goals and deserved a few more getting to the right areas of the ice. And then in terms of line combinations, um, sort of get him uh, in a couple of different spots. One line combination that was particularly positive was the wagner lazat Kempe group. That spent about 300 minutes together at even strength, plotted in the good quadrant in my scatter plots. Um, with about 2.8 expected goals for per 60 minutes and only 1.8 against. So that's a very, very positive uh, expected goal share over the course of a year. So, you know, you're looking at another one of those responsible, uh, reliable, low-maintenance guys that can take a regular shift in your bottom six and not hurt you. We talked about Michael Amadio this week and, uh, you know, the number of minutes that he played. Huge difference between him and Lazat is that Lazat spent uh, over 70 minutes on the penalty kill over the over the length of the season, whereas Amadio hovered around 10 minutes. Um, generally speaking, do you find that it helps or hurts bottom six players to get extra minutes on the PK? I think anytime you can get a player, a younger player, time on the ice, um, that's development time, and so you like to see it. It's always with that understanding that you're putting a, a player a new player into the league into a tough spot. And so you're going to get those growing pains. But uh, in general, anytime you can find those extra minutes where you keep your top guys rested and you give a younger guy a chance to show what he can do, I like it. And, you know, Lazat's showing that he's that kind of responsible player who can maybe get up and down the ice and put some pressure on the other team's power play. You know, a nice way for him to build some momentum through the season too. So 
Uh, I like it going forward, and maybe it's a bit of a blueprint they can follow with some of the other younger players the Kings are going to be working into the lineup over the next you know year or two. He spends a lot of time, as we've mentioned previously, with Kempe and Wagner. Um, it seems like Kempe improved the defensive numbers for any line he played on. Is there anything to suggest that Lazat may have benefited unduly from Kempe, or do we expect Lazat to continue to be this player in his career? Yeah, I think, you know, you're sort of right on to say that Kempe pops up with a couple of different combinations that wound up being good, ultimately. Um, there was a carter Lazat uh Foley line that was positive as well, though. So um, I think, you know, there's enough glimmers here that Lazat is probably um, capable of doing some of this on his own. But I would be suspicious of, you know, a player with his lack of experience that maybe he was riding some coattails. Up to the line, squirts away from Roman Pollock, who watch out, here oh, we go. another edge lost and another turnover. Here comes the rookie, Amadio scores! By Camadio, first career We're going to do this one a little bit backwards because I spoke to Sean Tierney uh, about Amadio before I spoke to you this time. So I'm, you know, forearmed with the knowledge of what uh, of what the analytics say about Mike Amadio and sorry Michael Amadio and you and I uh, have previously talked about him a little bit last week but in the 2018-2019 season he plays 43 games with the LA Kings 28 games with the Ontario Reign he scores 13 points with the Kings 26 points with the Reign heading into the 2019-2020 season Jim what were your expectations for Michael Amadio uh, expectations for me were to be a borderline NHL player to try to maintain his spot on the NHL roster. I, I think due to you know contract situations and then the rest of the roster and the you know the phase the Kings are in as a group as a as an organization, uh, he you know would have to stay around. But I I expected him to be certainly in the bottom six role if not fourth line center. Uh, I would hope that the Kings team was starting to establish their their new system under Tom McClellan and then you know maybe he could become a fixture there as far as uh, you know again fourth line centerman uh, that was it didn't expect any much more uh, looked at you know we, we always you always go back and look at numbers uh, from previous uh, leagues before you get to the NHL and with Michael I think the numbers stand out as far as offensive production and then it just always leads me to, and, and, I, and I hope I'm not harshly critical here. It's this is just what I see. Some players are, you know, what we call tweeners, meaning they're at the American Hockey League level. They can be an impact player, and you would hope that when they make it to the NHL, they can they can carry somewhat the same amount of production. I think on, for Michael right now, he has not been able to do that, so he's he's in between. He, he's you know, highly productive AHL, but just can't even. Now, he, I think some of the the numbers that coaches put a lot of weight into have, have come to the forefront with Michael. And he has established a trust factor with the coaching staff. The know what you're going to get type of thing. And I think that's the reason he's able to stay around. Not the flashy, you know, impact type of player, but you're talking about expectations. I did not expect that. 
I expect them to be fighting for an NHL job every single year. Using time on ice is um, is probably not a great reliable stat to start from, but um, looking at his season and starting to do some of the research for these evaluations, I was stunned. And I asked you about this last week off air, um, you know, and I asked you how many minutes, uh, you know, without looking it up, how many minutes you thought that he had played over the course of the season. And I, I told you that if you had asked me how many games I thought Michael Amadio had played in for the Kings, I would have put it somewhere between 20 and 40. Um, he played 11 minutes and eight seconds per game at even strength for the LA Kings. Sorry, at five on five, not at even strength. Um, but total minutes played at five on five for the Kings, he's sixth with 758 minutes and four seconds. Um, he spends most of his time between Clifford and Lewis, obviously Clifford no longer with the team, but to your point, he he found a spot. It was fourth line center, and he was there. I mean, he played 68 out of 70 games. He never really left the lineup. And despite the fact that, you know, some people may criticize him for lack of production, talking to Sean Tierney, um, the numbers tell us that he was maybe one of the most reliable defenders uh, among the forward ranks, you know, as far as how many goals were scored against him when he was on the ice and how many scoring chances there were. So, I mean, how valuable is that? As you said, you know exactly what you're getting out of him. How did he exceed your expectations in this season? Well, again, I, I don't. Uh, you can criticize I, the numbers; it's okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm very critical. I, I, I find myself being very critical of Michael, and, and and that bothers me because, you know, I get to interact with him on a daily basis, and I get to see him uh, as a person, and uh, you know, it's it's my job. Uh, to do that, but uh, sometimes uh, certain players rub you the right way. Some players rub you the wrong way. He, he rubs me the right way. He, he's a, he's a he's just a solid person who who cares for, about what's going on. Uh, but again, I, I, I it's tough. With, uh, he's the type of player, if I can answer it this way, where I would assume as the team gets better, he then becomes you know, an American Hockey League player again, and he's a recall type of player. He gets called back, you know, when, when injuries happen, and he's a depth within your organization type of player, all those types of things. But I, I was aware of the numbers you're talking about. They were pointed out to me. I, I think, again, it goes, and this is, uh, recently we talked about Blake Lazat and how his skating stride gives you the impression of something. Unfortunately for Michael, it's the opposite. His skating stride is a little bit cumbersome. It's, it's, at times, it doesn't look like it, it involves a lot of energy in his game. And there's kind of a, a float-around type of, you know, if you're talking about style of how he skates. And I think that's, unfortunately, at the NHL level, which is, you know, made it difficult for Michael to get the same, or not the same type of production you get the HL, but just to bring that type of, I just don't believe he has the ability to buy himself room. And as a distributor or as a producer of points at, at other levels, he gets that space in time. And then that allows him to, then his mind goes to work and then you can see an, a mind that really thinks the game well, who can find open men, who can hold on long enough 
for those men and his teammates and linemates to get open. But when it gets to the NHL, he can't find that time. So when he enters the zone, can he, can he put the other team's defenders on their heels to give them that time? Because he's not the type of player that's going to beat you one-on-one. So that means he needs to use his wingers more so. He needs to find them. He needs to find time and space so they can get open. Uh, no different. No different than you know, the quarterback in the pocket. The longer he has time with that ball, the longer the receivers have a better chance of getting open. And it's just, well... Michael struggles with that at the NHL level, and that limits his production. And that's why I think he has understood, analyzed his own game, and said, okay, how do I stay around? The one thing when I talk to coaches about Michael and is this, he has a good stick. Now, what, you know, where does that get you? <laughs> Well, it gets you into a position where he's able to be defensively responsible. Does he ever hit anyone through the boards? No, but because of the use of stick, and he's strong on his stick, he's able to get under sticks, but also he takes away time and space defensively because of the use of the stick. And what that does is makes him spend less time in his own zone because he usually makes the check and gets the puck up, or makes the check, gets the puck, and then distributes it to someone else, and the puck leaves the zone. So then your numbers and possession numbers and you know chances for and against they become you know a little bit more positive so he has worked at that part of his game but something i know he was told to do he worked at it and that's where i have an immense amount of respect for michael because you know he was given a, an objective and he he has worked on it hard enough and it, the work he's doing is not the fun work right if if you're if you're a if you're a defensive player and you're asked to play offense, oh, that's great. It's fun. It's great. Oh, you, yeah, I wanted to. If you're known as an offensive player and now you're asked to, you know, improve your defensive game, fun is not necessarily the word that comes to mind. But he's been able to do that. He's been persistent enough and found a way to stay in the NHL because of how he's worked on that part of his game. He's 24 right now. Uh, he'll turn 25 in May uh, of two, of 2021. We talk a lot in these evaluations about the calendar being a weakness of uh, not a weakness, but but you know, a challenge for some of these bottom six players. Now that the Kings have this deep prospect pool, uh, it seems like he's a lead candidate amongst the uh, the fighting the calendar group. I mean, at twenty five, he's right there with Trevor Moore. Um, although he's not twenty five yet, I shouldn't I shouldn't prematurely age him. But with a bunch of young players, and you know possibly 11 more young players joining the organization at the draft this year. Uh, what does Amadio have to do in the coming season to stave off this wave of prospects? Well, I think he's going to have to continue to make sure that the, you know, the strengths of his game that we just talked about don't drop off at all, that they are a fixture, which I think he's proven. Uh, I think he could become... And this is where, you know, it's tough because now I'm talking about a personality factor. He has to not only be more confident, make sure other people around you see that you're more confident. Hmm. So step outside of your comfort zone a little bit, not cocky, but at the same time, show me something here that you're going to be, because again, I, like I said, I've, I've worked with him a daily or I talk about, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great teammate. He really is. And if there's anything that will keep him around professional hockey, it's that. 
He is a really conscientious person. And I could see him as a veteran leader, you know, at, at the AHL level for sure. But, you know, we've, we've, how many times, Jesse, have we talked about exactly what we're talking about right now, where a player gets to a certain age, and if it's not working, and then, you know, the Kings and their, the stage they're in right now is if, you know, hopefully starting, now it's starting the upward trend. Again, I still think it's years down the road before they're a contender again, but, you know, the, the trend is going to start moving upward, and then, you know, do guys like Michael get caught in that? Do they get caught in the, oh, geez, there's a player that's two or three years younger that maybe it's time for him to, to start getting the ice time. Um, and that's, that's, that'll be Michael's battle. It will be his battle. Uh, and it's just a battle to stay at the NHL level. So make sure his, you know, what he's known for doesn't drop off. If, if for some way, and sometimes it does happen, or that tweener type of player I was talking about. It's normally it's it's a read of the play. If that improves, then all of a sudden you seem like you're faster, even though you're not skating faster. You're just reacting faster, and then you're accomplishing more things. But with Michael, I think I think he sees the game well enough already. I don't see there's a lot of room for improvement there. So um, that's that's where I see him. I I think he will be around. I, I think he. You know, I. I I would assume if he got, was able to be put in a situation where he was playing with higher skilled players, then his distri- distribution factor will become well, that more important and he'll pick up and be more pr- productive with some assists. Um, decent shot too. I mean, you know, when you break it down, it's just a matter of buying time to get the time at the NHL level to actually execute that type of skill. Uh, I know Michael's talked about it. And he's been asked to do it, the physical aspect of improve his first step right got to get that first step quickness going a little bit better um unfortunately for me this is a personal opinion that i've discussed before it it falls on deaf ears because i think once you're 18 years old you probably already established your skating stride yes you can work and get better incrementally i know you can improve otherwise you know strength coaches and coaches and development coaches they you know there would be no reason for that because at the NHL level, even an incremental improvement might be the difference between you staying or not being around anymore. So keep working on that. But I don't see the physical aspect becoming a factor where he all of a sudden finds time on the ice, more time on the ice to make plays. Um, so if he can, for whatever reason, maybe it's back to what I was saying earlier. It's that you've got to exude a little bit more confidence because if you don't, then no one else is going to pick up on it. Last season, a handful of players uh, played center. Andre Kopitar, <clears throat> excuse me, Adrian Kempe was still being tried out at the beginning of the season. Jeff Carter, Michael Amadio, uh, Blake Lazat, and uh, I don't know, once or twice maybe Trevor Lewis. Now, Jeff Carter maybe moved to wing. Adrian Kempe apparently moved to wing. But Gabriel Velarde has emerged as a, you know an expected player at the center position. So is it possible for the 2020-21 season that Michael Amadio could shift to wing? Is that maybe a way to extend his career with the Kings a bit? It's possible. Again, I think we all know that the Kings are stockpiling a pretty good prospect list, but it's very difficult to bring up more than four or five, and that would be a top end for a lot of teams, at any one time. 
you can rotate them during the course of a season coming out from Ontario and then to the Kings and back and forth. And, you know, you rotate a group of four or five. Uh, so then by the end of the year, you end up with 10 or 12 guys that are, you know, playing, what, 10 or 12 games each. Um, so that's where, you know, I, I guess Michael will do whatever it takes to be there. I think that it's good. It's it's always better, right? It's always it's always more trustworthy for a player to be able to be a centerman first and then move to wing. Uh, to go the other way is considered much more difficult because of uh, overall defensive responsibilities that fall on a center position versus a winger. Of course, on the wing, you have to get into more board situations with pucks coming around and how to get the puck out that way. Uh, that's that, that could be the case, but I'm just thinking, again, there would probably be another player that's already a winger or maybe some of the younger prospects that are centermen that not, might move to wing that might get into a logjam for Michael in that area. So to me, I, it, it could happen. Uh, you know, I, I was certainly wrong. It appears I was wrong on Adrian Kempe because I always thought I looked at his game and said that there's a centerman. And it just didn't work out at center. And I think it looks like he's way more productive on the wing. So it can happen. Um, I don't know if I put Michael into that category. We are talking about Michael Amadio. And to give us a look at what the numbers tell us, Sean Tierney from Charting Hockey. Thanks for joining us again, Sean. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So Michael Amadio, the man, the international man of mystery, um, the thing that leaps out to me, and I'm curious how this manifests itself, in an analytical uh, light is that despite playing, uh, you know, limited minutes per game, total minutes, he winds up finishing sixth overall in even strength minutes amongst the forward core behind Kopitar, Ayafalo, Brown, Kempe, and Carter. Um, this is, a, this has to be an outlier, I would think, but, but what do the numbers tell us about the season that Michael Amadio had? Right. So it's kind of funny. And we were talking off air just for a second about, you know, the quietest uh, minutes a guy could play considering how much he played. And so at five at five, we've got him at 763 minutes. Um, and he's the best amongst the LA King forwards in terms of expected goal share, which is, again, a little bit surprising. He posted a 55 percent XG share, which puts him right up in the top right of my my charts, uh, really positive rates, as good as anybody, better than anybody on the Kings. Um, and really impressively, he was at about 2.1 expected goals against. That's notably below average. So some really responsible on-ice impact while he was out there. Um, he had 122 shots, all situations, finished with six goals on 10 expected goals. And all the goals we have from, we got some tips, wrist shots, a slapper, we're looking at completely sort of crease area, low slot area goals for him. So a guy who knows, you know, sort of where to get to to get his goals. But um, ultimately, he underperformed his expected goals a little bit, probably deserved four, maybe even five more goals than he had. And then just in terms of line impacts, he was kind of stapled to Clifford, it looks like, you know, for uh, the time that Clifford spent with the Kings this year. And he wound up plotting in dull uh, most often with the combinations he tried. And when you're looking at a bottom six guy, um, somebody who goes out and, and doesn't kill you and kind of keeps his minutes quiet in that way is a positive. So 
um, some interesting and you know fairly decent underlying numbers for uh, one of the King's death players. The the biggest question that needs to be answered when it comes to Michael Amadio, from my perspective, is moving forward. You know you're not going to replace Ayafalo, Kopitar, and Brown. We're reasonably certain at this point the players like Kempe, Velarde, Ferk, Carter, and possibly Lazat, uh, we'll talk about him later, um, won't be replaced. We spoke last time about Wagner and Moore and the role they play. So, I mean, before you know it, you've got 9, 10, 11 names that aren't coming out of the lineup to make room for this you know, highly ranked prospect pool. It sounds to me like just statistics, never mind, you know, the broken hearts of not scoring those extra five goals in a season, but it sounds to me like Michael Amadio helps a team by playing in the lineup. Yeah, and you and I over the past couple of weeks have been digging through some of these bottom six forward options. And of the ones we've discussed, uh, sort of just going back over guys like Moore and, uh, you know, some of the others we dug, dug through, Grundstrom. Um, this is a guy that I would have ahead of all of them in terms of playing some regular um, sort of bottom two line minutes. It, it was very positive what he was able to show. He liked that he had the expected goals there that he didn't ultimately convert on, but it, it looks good that he gets to the right spots. I'd have him, you know, as one of those top options to have one of those bottom six forward spots lined up. And so ultimately, maybe that blocks one of those top prospects from locking down a job next year. And ultimately, you know, you really want one of those guys to have to beat out a reliable NHL regular who's done it in the league before, before you turn over the role to them. And I think, you know, Amadio is one of those guys that's, you know, legitimately earned his spot in the bottom six and deserves that role again next year. Pacioretty taken away and the Kings clear. It's a two on one shorthanded Kempe with Lazat. Kempe moves in. Lazat scores. 